It's nice to be back with you again this evening, and what a beautiful day. We traveled down this evening from home in Portrush, and I was saying, what a lovely evening again. God has been so kind and good to us this week. What a tremendous week it has been for traveling and journeying toward the services and being involved uh, in them night by night. And we trust and pray that tonight will be a very precious and blessed evening amongst us. You are not here tonight by accident. God, in his wonderful love and mercy, has allowed you to come to be in this congregation tonight. And you might be part of a number of people as I look down, but God sees you as an individual. He knows you as you are. He knows all about you. He knows about your past. He knows about your disappointments. He knows about your burdens. He knows about the scars and the wounds of your heart. He knows all the tomorrows that await you. And knowing the very worst about you, I want you to know this, that he has purposed the very best for you. And indeed, he not only has purposed the best for you, but he has purchased the best for you. Let that really sink in. Because when I learned that, it turned my life around. That knowing the worst about me, he had purchased the very best for me. And I wouldn't trade my life for anything that this world has to offer. After all these years, I have found him to be the never-failing friend and the ever-faithful God. I've never been in a corner or in a tight spot that I have found him to be absent. He is always there. I've never found myself to be in a disappointment that I couldn't see eventually that it was a divine appointment. And just as like tonight for you, what may have been a disappointment in your life, this could be the night when God wants to take your disappointment and make it a, a platform for his appointment. And so let's trust the Lord. Let's believe him and let's look to him tonight. I want to read with you this evening two short Bible passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And we're reading from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Now, you may not be acquainted with the Bible, and it might be difficult for you to find, so don't really worry about that. You want to listen and not miss what I'm saying, but let's read from the book of Numbers and chapter 21. And commencing to read at verse 4. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4. And we're going to read down to verse 9. And then we're going to read some verses from John's gospel chapter 3. So let's be ready for that. And as the children of Israel journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. 
And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass, that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, He lived. And on that high note and wonderful message, then we turn to the New Testament, to John's Gospel, chapter 3, and commencing to read at verse 14. John chapter 3 and verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Amen. And now we pray that God will bless his word to our hearts. And shall we do that just now before we begin to speak to you? Our Father, we thank you this evening that the Bible, in a wonderful, majestic way, explains itself when we read through it. And we thank and praise the Lord this evening for the linkage between what we read in the book of Numbers and what we have just read in John's Gospel. And we believe tonight, Lord, that in an historic event, there was a tremendous spiritual message. And we pray tonight, Lord, that the Spirit of God will lift out of the pages of ancient history and bring right into this service a message based on what we have read, and make it, Lord, a life-saving message tonight. 
We pray that none shall be discouraged beyond where they are, but encouraged tonight in knowing that Jesus Christ is the answer to their every need. We pray this evening, Lord, that nothing shall distract people or drive them out of the service or take them away unyielded or unwilling. We pray tonight, Lord, that everything that will draw us to the cross and every spirit that can do that, every angel of God, will be at our call tonight and will come to help us in this great battle and in this great opportunity. So now, Lord, I pray, touch my life and touch my tongue, and I this evening shall be anointed with fresh oil. And so I pray, anoint me once again, dear Lord, anoint me once again with Holy Ghost endowment, anoint me once again. I tarry here in godly fear, I must not seek in vain. Oh, touch me now with holy fire. Anoint me once again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. The congregation was very small. In the background to this story in John chapter 3, there were just two people. There was the Lord Jesus, and there was a very religious man called Nicodemus. And he had come to Jesus by night. He was a seeker. He was searching for answers to what I'm not really sure whether they were answers to why his religious uh, life had not satisfied his needs. Maybe he was seeking to find out more about this person who had appeared on the scene, Jesus Christ. It's not really so much of interest to me as to why Nicodemus came to speak to Jesus by night, but it is of interest to me to learn that the Lord Jesus knew Nicodemus through and through and addressed him in a manner that was just tailor-made for Nicodemus's searching heart and his long-felt need. The Lord Jesus is here, beloved people. Don't miss what I'm saying to you. He is with us tonight. He is unseen, but he is so real. Because he says, even if there are only two or three who are gathered in my name, I am in the midst. He is unseen, but real. The Lord Jesus is in the midst. And there's more than Jesus tonight interested in our meeting. I know that. I know that Satan tonight is interested in our meeting. But I am, I am wonderfully encouraged to know that Jesus is stronger than Satan and sin. And Satan to Jesus must bow. I was speaking this morning in a congregation of people on Job the perfect man and Satan. And God wonderfully came amongst us and moved amongst us as we began to speak on that tremendous reality of how the enemy came to attack Job. But that's not my purpose this evening. My purpose tonight is to speak to you about a Savior who addressed one man on a special evening. And you may be the only person this night that is here by divine appointment God knows you, and he knows about your past, 
and he knows about your present condition, and he surely knows about your future. And knowing as he does this evening, he has drawn you, and he has laid upon my heart a message for you this evening. As this man is seeking to find out the answers to his great heart cry, the Lord Jesus lifts a story, an event out of the Old Testament scriptures that Nicodemus would have very well known about. Being a Pharisee, being a teacher of the law, he would have known the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He would have known about the event recorded in the book of Numbers that we read about a little while ago. And the Lord Jesus took that event and instilled into his heart truth that I believe Nicodemus saw for the first time how he could be transformed, how he could be changed, how he could be rightly related to God. And later on we discover that Nicodemus did truly seek the Lord and truly take his stand on the side of God and truth and Jesus Christ. And my dear people tonight, I am praying that from this Wednesday night, there will be a man, there will be a woman who will take their stand for truth and righteousness, who will step out on the Lord's side, and who will say, as for me, from tonight, I will follow Jesus. I see him tonight as my uplifted Savior, lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. And now in heaven, he's exalted high. And hallelujah, what a savior. And yes, what Denver was singing about is absolutely true. I should have been there. I should have died. But Jesus, God's son, died in my place and in yours as well. And so as we go back and maybe... Look back a little bit and reflect on this event. The people had cried out against Moses, but more significantly and more darkly, they had cried out against God. And the judgment, of course, for their rebellion was that God sent fiery serpents across the desert sands and out from under every stone and rock and out from every crevice And out from the desert sands they seemed to emerge until the very desert floor was creeping with fiery serpents. I wonder, can you see it? And the people, the vast host that they were, maybe a million, million and a half, maybe two million people, there was no way to escape. And it seemed like the devil had been let loose in the camp and the people were stricken. It was a deadly strike. These were no pet snakes. These were no small, insignificant creatures like grass snakes. These were deadly, poisonous snakes. And the people began to burn with fever. And as they burned in the fever that came upon them after being stricken with the venom that now coursed through their blood vessels and through their capillaries, my dear people, I wonder what it must have been like. I don't want to ever experience such a thing. 
But we've sometimes heard of people who have been bitten by fiery snakes and sometimes it's lethal and sometimes it's fatal and sometimes they cannot get the person to the hospital in time to get the serum in that will deactivate the venom. It seemed like that was the condition right here because it said many people died and were dying. The poet put it like this, swift flames consume the marrow and the brain and the scorched entrails rage with burning pain. Upon his heart the thirsty poisons prey and drain the sacred juice of life away. And swift on the heels of the pain came death. And for many of these people, it must have seemed like a welcome release from what they were suffering. They were stricken by the serpent. The deadly venom coursed through their body. The craving thirst could not be satisfied. And the ultimate outcome was death. My dear people, In every single sentence of those last four sentences, there is an identity with a problem that the human heart and human race has. And it is the problem of the disease of sin in the heart. It is that deadly coursing venom that has in its ultimate wage death. For the wages of sin is death. And in the meantime, The whole head becomes sick. The whole heart becomes sore, as the Bible says. And from the crown of the head to the soles of the feet, the prophet Isaiah describes it. There is nothing but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. What a picture of a decimated body. What a picture of a stricken individual. But the Lord is... Teaching through the prophet Isaiah. He is teaching a moral principle. A moral condition. Because truly my dear people. Outside of Jesus. That is really our true condition. The whole head is sick. And the whole heart is sore. From the head crowned to the soles of the feet. There is no soundness in us. And that deadly disease. Has percolated through our being deadened our emotions, separated us from God, turned our wills from God's will to our own will. I cannot take time this evening to describe the decimating power that sin and uncleanness have in the human heart and in the human life. Maybe tonight you're saying, you know, Eric, I know something about it. I have felt its scourge. I have felt its boiling, raging heat in my conscience. It's like the hymn writer put it. My conscience felt and owned its guilt and plunged me in despair. And it does that. But bless God, that's not the end of the verse. My sin I saw. His blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. That's the glorious side of the coin. But the reality tonight is in the first half of the verse, in your life. And you're saying, yes, I know. My conscience feels and owns its guilt. I know this night where I am. I know that I am lost. I know that I am unclean. I know that I am unfit. 
for Jesus and his presence, but tonight you're in a good place. You couldn't be in a better place. And so there is the serpent in the camp. And tonight I don't know you all. I'm getting to know some of you better night by night, but I don't know you this evening. You might be here for the very first time. And this evening God finds you just as you are. Separated, inflicted and infected. But tonight he's calling you and he's drawing you. And there's not only sin in the camp and the ultimate outcome, death sweeping through the camp. And sin pays its wages. And it will take you further than you ever meant to go. It will hold you longer than you ever meant to stay. And it will cost you far more than you ever meant to pay. It does that. It does that. But thank God tonight, there's, an al- there's, a, there's, an al- there's another message. Thank God tonight, there is a message that Jesus, as he looks into the eyes of his attentive man, he looks at him and he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And there's the message tonight. As Moses lifted up the serpent. You know, friends, the serpent speaks of the curse. And when Jesus was lifted up on a cross, he was made a curse. For you and me, he took what should have been mine. He took my punishment. He took my sin in his own body on the tree. He took my lost, dreadful condition. And the Bible says he nailed it to the cross. And I look tonight, I look back in my life, I see where I was. But tonight I look into my life and I know where I am. I am in Christ. I am his tonight because he gave himself for me. And he has done it for you. The serpent in the camp, in the heart. But the Savior on the cross. And the parallel is presented right here because as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. What an offer, what a blessed salvation, what a glorious procurement that was that instead of death, taking me to eternal second death, to an ultimate hell without God and to outer darkness, that he comes into my life tonight with an offer that is too magnificent to miss. The offer of life and life forever. Life, life, eternal life. Jesus alone is the giver. Life. Life, abundant life. Glory to Jesus forever. Leaving the mountain, the streamlet grows, flooding the valley with a river. So from the hill of the cross, can you see it? So from the hill of the cross there flows 
life more abundant forever. Just before going to that cross, as you would walk through the narrow streets of old Jerusalem, the people were crying for his blood. They were saying, away with him, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. That is the very essence of sin, to reject Jesus, to away with Jesus, to not allow him to rule over your life. And you gather this evening, perhaps still part of that crowd. I will not have this man, Jesus, to rule my life. My life is my own. I will be my own master. I will do my thing. Do it my way. Yes, you may. But you will ultimately discover that it's more costly than you ever thought it would be. And ultimately it will cost you God's eternal heaven. And in life it will cost you joy, peace and love and light and life. You will never have them outside of the Lord Jesus. But he comes this evening And when he comes to the cross of Calvary and that crowd is still baying for his blood, he is lifted up between two thieves as if he was a common criminal. And he looks out over that crowd of people. And I want you to know this. He looks out over this congregation this evening. And when he was on the cross, hear me now, When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. But I want you to know more. I want you to know that when he was on the cross, you were on his heart. His heart that was broken, his heart that was riven, his heart into which his centurion drove a spear, and forthwith, says the Apostle John, there flowed out blood and water, the symbol of a broken heart, pierced to the very core, to the very center of his being. And out of that broken heart, there flowed a life tide that brings life to you this evening. Do you know something? Do you know what the Bible says? The life is in the blood. And God says, I have given the blood as an atonement for your soul. It is the blood that atones for the soul. Oh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. But let me quote this verse to you. And let me put these words in your mind. And I am praying that they will be on your lips. I do believe, I will believe, I now believe that Jesus died for me, that on the cross he shed his blood to set me free. 
I invite you to this Savior. I invite you to this cross. I commend him to you. Without reservation, I commend Jesus to you. Will you take him? Will you trust him now? Maybe like a lady in one of our missions, she said in the meeting, during the invitation, different person to the person I shared with you the other evening, she said, I want to come, but I can't. Something was holding her. Mrs. Stewart had the joy of pointing her to Jesus the next morning. He's saying, Eric, I want to come. But something's holding me. Well, take the name of Jesus tonight. And in the name of Jesus, get the victory. And break through to him. Don't let the devil take you out. Don't let the devil take you away from the house of God, still in your bondage, still in your sin. When tonight there's a wide open door, of mercy and salvation. Walk right through it, dear people, tonight. Walk right in tonight and trust Jesus Christ, the serpent in the camp, the Savior on the cross. But then finally tonight, the sinner at the cross. When the brazen serpent was cast and strung up and put up in the pole, I can see in my mind's eye the people who are still reeling from this awful strickenness and who are dying. And the friend, a husband, comes and he puts his arm under his wife's head and lifts it up and says, look to the cross, darling, look to the cross. Look to the serpent. And if you could only see it tonight, there's people who are lifting you up and they're praying for you and they're lifting you up in the arms of faith so that you might look to the Savior who died on the tree to see how he suffered for thee and me. He's asking you tonight to look by faith when Charles Haddon Spurgeon was just a young man, 16 years of age, on a very wintry, snowy morning in January, many years ago in the 1800s, a preacher looked down and he said, Young man, you look very sorrowful. You look very sad. That morning, the speaker was speaking on the words, Look unto me, and be ye saved, saith the Lord, for I am God. And there is none else. And he said, young man, look. Look. Look to Jesus. And young Spurgeon was converted that Lord's Day. In January, the 6th of January morning it was. I'd forget the year now. But you can look tonight. Look and thou shalt live. It is only that you look and live. 
It's not your works. It's not your efforts. It's the look of faith. As you, dis, as you determine in your heart with the help of God and say, I am through with the old life. I'm finished with it tonight. It has brought me nothing but disappointment. And now tonight I find myself searching and seeking. I say to you tonight, your searching and seeking can come to an end because he has been searching you and seeking for you ever since the day you were born. He has been looking for you. And tonight he has you here to bring you to himself. The sinner at the cross. The Old Testament blessing came only to the Jews, to that nation of people who were traversing the desert sands. But the New Testament salvation is come for the whosoever will. Ah, yes. Whosoever cometh need not delay. Now the door is open. Enter while you may. Jesus is the true and the only living way. Whosoever will may come. What a precious night this can be. We may be a little smaller tonight, but Jesus is no smaller. He is no less in his grace. He is no less in his power. He is no less in his willingness to bring you now to himself. But you must come. You must come. And over 640 times in the Bible, we read that word. Come. Come. Who would reject looking to the brazen serpent when they know that if they will only look, they shall live? Who would reject looking to Jesus when you become aware that by looking you can live and be saved? Who would be so silly who would be so resolutely resistant? Who would be such a fool to step out into tonight's night with but a step between us and eternity and maybe die without Jesus and be lost forever? That's the issue. That's how high the stakes are. And this is how high the prize is. You can pass from death to life, from the power of sin and Satan unto God, because God so loved the world. And Nicodemus heard it for the first time. And Jesus spoke it for the first time. Is this your first time? In the mission? Is this your first time to hear it? God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you believe, whosoever believeth in him should not perish 
but have, without a quibble of a doubt, everlasting life. You say, Eric, I want that life. I will put my hand into that nail-pierced hand. This is my night. I want to come. He's waiting. He's ready. If you are, I invite you to him.